Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, Episode 31, recorded Sunday, April 26th, 2020. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Hello again. And thanks for tuning in to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Cincerpino. We are set to close out April 2020, a month of being closed. Actually, we're now starting our sixth week of being shuttered, and from what we are hearing here in Connecticut, we might have another six weeks to go. It'll probably be mid-June before we can safely open with all the necessary precautions. We're not exactly sure how things are going to go when we are cleared for operations. We're just going to have to wait and see. In the meantime, today I want to discuss dive flags, a climate change simulator called En-ROADS, and offer a little bit of our diving history, namely diving on the Andrea Doria. So here we go. Many of us go on dive vacations to exotic spots and do a majority of our diving from a boat. I did a piece on boat diving etiquette back in February, and you can check out the archives if you're interested. One of the things we don't have to worry about when we're diving from a boat is having a dive flag. That all changes if we are shore diving. You're going to have to fly or carry your own dive flag. Now, I first learned about dive flags in my Paddy Open Water Diver course, like most of us have. And we actually used a dive flag when we were doing our certification dives at Fort Weatherall in Jamestown, Rhode Island. Now, I went back to my original open water manual to look at what they covered. Yeah, I still have that manual. That was before we had the electronic learning. Now, we're all familiar with the red rectangular flag that has the white diagonal stripe, but remember, there's also the blue and white double-tailed pennant, or alpha flag, that signifies diving operations. Now, according to Patty, the flag must be large enough to be seen from at least 100 yards or meters away. So to give you some perspective, think about this. You're standing on the goal line of a football field and that you're able to see, and more importantly, identify that flag placed on the other goal line. I want to cover a couple of other things about your dive flag. Your flag is supposed to be flying. So to accomplish this, they usually have a wire across the flag to keep it extended. Now, you got to make sure that that wire is in place and that there are no rips or tears in the flag that might make it go limp. Remember, you're on that far goal line, it's kind of hard to pick out the flag if it's not flying. Also, the flag needs to be seen 
by any boats in the area and should be at least three feet above the surface. Now that's absolutely necessary when there are choppy seas. The laws in your area may have special requirements, so you're going to have to check them out on the distances, etc. But if they don't, you'll want to stay within 50 feet of your dive flag, and boats are supposed to stay 100 to 200 feet away from a dive flag. Now, I can tell you from experience and seeing it, that doesn't always happen. Boats don't usually respect, sometimes they don't respect that 100 to 200 foot um, rule. The dive flag's pretty simple. It usually has a float, and there's this pole that goes through the middle of it, and it runs uh, through the, uh, the, the float, and it usually has a counterweight on the bottom to keep the pole upright. Now, you'll also have a line attached to it that's usually 75 to 100 feet, normally polypropylene, wrapped around the holder. Like I said, it's pretty simple until you get in the water. You have to practice holding it, letting out the line, keeping the float above you, not trailing it way behind or pulling the float underwater or getting it tangled up in the line uh, of another dive flag or your gear. We've seen it all at our open waters in Jamestown. Also, remember, you need to hang on to your holder. We've seen that too as the dive flags get away from people. Remember, Dive flags are another important piece of your safety equipment, and it's only safe if you know how to use it. So when you're on your shore dive, be cognizant of what you're doing with that dive flag, practice with it, and be safe with it. When I was at the Boston Sea Rovers in early March, I had the opportunity to stop by the Ocean Learning Laboratory and Immersive Experience, better known as OLLI. And I interviewed the captain and creator of OLLI, Patrick Flanagan. You can find that in the uh, interview in the episode 28 uh, to learn a little bit more about OLLI. But what I wanted to do was I did a little bit more research on some of the technology that Patrick uses uh, in Ali and came across something really interesting called En-ROADS, E-N-R-O-A-D-S. And En-ROADS is a climate solution simulator. Now, this simulator allows you to make changes to various parameters like energy usage, how we use land, our consumption, agriculture, and other policies, and to see the impacts on global warming real-time. Now, En-ROADS stands for Energy Rapid Overview and Decision Support, and it was created by this organization called Climate Interactive. Climate Interactive is an independent, not-for-profit think tank that grew out of MIT Sloan in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Now, they create simulators. Uh, they engage with global leaders. And they help companies and communities and governments improve their strategies. The co-directors of Climate Interactive are Elizabeth Swain and Andrew Jones. And you can read all about them on the Climate Interactive website. But I want to get back to En-ROADS. 
Now, En-ROADS works on a hierarchy. They're really pretty simple. It talks about total greenhouse gases and their impacts on temperature. The greenhouse gases come from energy, land use, and population, and then they also have simulations regarding CO2 removal. When I first got to the site, you'll see that there are six main areas uh, of the model, and they have 18 specific parameters that you can adjust. Now, all 18 parameters are set for the status quo when you first get there, and that means if we keep doing what we're doing, this is what's going to happen. So with the status quo built into the model, the model projects a 4.1 degree Celsius or 7.3 degree Fahrenheit temperature increase in the, uh, for the globe by 2100, 2100. Now, you get to have a little fun. What I first did is I went in and I started playing around with the uh, parameter related to coal use. And I made the coal variable highly taxed. And by doing that, the simulator dropped the warming from 7.3 to 7.0 degrees Fahrenheit. Next, I made renewable energy a highly subsidized commodity. And what that did was it dropped it down to 6.8 degrees Fahrenheit. So I kept playing around with some more parameters. I made our energy efficiency and transportation highly increased, and that dropped it down to 6.5 degrees. And then carbon removal with technology dropped it down to 6.0 degrees. So there's a lot of things that you can do with the model. It's kind of engaging, and you can play around with it. Now, you, they also have a really cool video that does a really nice job in the overview of the simulator. Um, there's a couple of things. You can run it in a basic mode or you can run it in an advanced mode. If you want to get deeper into the uh, simulator, they have a really good online user manual that is easy to navigate and it's very informative. Now, I was very impressed with this technology and that it's readily available and it's pretty easy to use. What it does point out is that we have a lot of work to do if we have any chance of slowing down or reversing climate change. So go ahead out there, try it out. It's called En-ROADS, E-N-R-O-A-D-S, and I think you'll like it. I recently finished the book Deep Descent by Kevin F. McMurray. And the subtitle of that book is Adventure and Death Diving the Andrea Doria. It was written in 2001. So I wanted to do a little something related to the Andrea Doria and diving. While I've never had the desire to make such a dive, I do have a little bit of a connection with this ill-fated ocean liner. My great-uncle, my grandfather's brother, traveled to the United States from Italy on the Andrea Doria. He arrived here in 1955, just a couple of days before I was born. I wonder what he thought about its sinking just a year later. So just what would I talk about was something I struggled with, until 
I had that opportunity to attend the Boston Sea Rovers 2020 clinic and met with one of the divers featured in Deep Descent. And that diver is Sally Warman. To set the stage, Sally is a 2002 inductee of the Woman Divers Hall of Fame, and back in the day she was part of the crew of the RV Wahoo, the boat that was captained by Steve Belinda, and that boat ran charters to the Andrea Doria. Now, according to the book, Sally's completed about 60 dives to the wreck, an incredible diving resume. For those who don't know about the story in the book, or as a refresher of the events that happened there, the RV Wahoo was on a charter to the Andrea Doria in July of 1985 with a group of high-profiled, experienced Florida divers that included Billy Deans and John Ormsby. I won't go into the whole detail of the story, but to sum it up, after getting the Florida divers in the water, Sally and her buddy, Gary Gilligan, went into the water for their dive. Sally and Gary passed the Florida divers as they were on their way to the wreck, and during their descent, Sally observed John Ormsby speeding past her. Later on her dive inside the wreck, Sally was hit from behind and plummeted deep into the wreck and crashed down to 250 feet, and while she was down there, she had her mask knocked off. Can you imagine? Makes you shudder, doesn't it? Um, Well, I talked with Sally about this incident, and she told me exactly the same thing that she told Kevin McMurray. By following Steve's advice, Sally had her mask strap under her hood, and she believes that that's what saved her life that day, by being able to get her mask back on. Sally also told me that she had many conversations with Kevin as he was writing the book, and that while there might be some controversy about what's in there, in her opinion, it's pretty, ac- uh, pretty accurate. Now, Sally's still diving today. She goes on a lot of blue-green expedition trips with Faith Hortons. I thought it was pretty cool to talk with Sally and wanted to thank her for taking a few minutes uh, to chat with me. So I'm thinking about looking at a little bit more uh, into the Andrea Doria And there's a couple of books that I'm looking at. One is called The Desperate Hours by Richard Goldstein. And the other is called Collision Course by Alvin Moscow. So a little bit of connection that I have with the Andrea Doria. And I thought it was kind of really uh, a great opportunity to speak with somebody who's been out there and is featured in the book. So if you haven't uh, read Deep Descent, it's a great book by Kevin F. McMurray. Check it out. Well, that wraps up episode 31 of Scuba Shack Radio. Again, thanks for listening. And I hope that this podcast provides a little respite from the unthinkable challenges the world is facing today. We are fortunate. We are safe and healthy right now. I believe by being responsible and staying home for just a little bit longer, we'll all emerge from this crisis and then be able to submerge. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of Scuba Shack Radio. Until then, take care.
Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time. <laughs>